0: Live from the Hills of Judea is the land of visual fellowship with rabbis
1: Arya Bramowitz and Jeremy Gimpel. Shalom, everybody. Shalom, shalom. Please tell me that you can hear me. We are facing some challenges. Okay, thumbs up. That's great. Oh my goodness, what a thing. I really hope this goes smoothly. We've been losing electricity out here a lot. And so our internet was disconnected. Jeremy just drove to the nearby village to reconnect us. So if all of a sudden we lose connection, I have set up my phone by the window in that one spot that sort of has a connection with the mobile hotspot. So I'll try to reconnect if that works. Bottom line is, let's just hang tight together. This is important. And uh, with all of the stress that's going on, I'm already starting to calm down. Why? Because I'm seeing your faces and it's fun for me to see your faces and to see all of you. And uh, because I didn't even get to see you last week. You know, it was a last second decision last week that I didn't join. But, uh, you know, I just felt so dehydrated and my headache was so piercing that I decided to medicate myself and lie down as my wife, Shana, recommended. You know, as uh, Abraham, uh, as uh, Abraham was told by Hashem about Sarah, listen to your wife, Sarah. So that's what I did. Um, So I missed you all very much. But, you know, I was actually with my family in Natanya on vacation, um, which is, uh, you know, it's both a word and a concept that I continue to struggle with. You know, a very dear friend of mine owns a place there in Natanya and he offered us to stay there. And after discussing with Shana, we, we felt it was the right thing to do for us and for our family as a whole. We were just too excited at the prospect of Dvash jumping in the kiddie pool and Shilo playing in the sand on the beach for the first time. But I just, I couldn't shake the discomfort um, that the whole idea of vacation was causing me. I don't know if you'll be able to relate to this, what I'm sharing with you, but I just wanted to to share my heart because it's still sort of alive within me, you know, and and I knew leading up to it, it was something I was going to need to work through. And I think that the idea of going on vacation made me feel a little like I was being um, perhaps ungrateful because in, in many ways, I feel like I live a vacation in this Garden of Eden here in Judea, not only because of the physical and the spiritual beauty of this place, but also because my mission here is, is uh, you know, sharing the beauty of Judea and the miracles of Hashem. And while it can be exhausting, it's so intrinsically meaningful and fulfilling to me that it's sort of vacation-like. And by by that, you, you I, I mean that, you know, many people work in their jobs as a profession, as a means to an end. They work to make money so that they can support their family and perhaps take a vacation. But... You know, for me, I felt like taking a vacation from something as inherently meaningful as what we're doing out here felt strange and uncomfortable and possibly wrong. I've been talking to Jeremy about this also since I came back, you know, but at the same time, I was simply not sure that I was seeing things clearly and correctly. And when I saw that look in Shayna's eyes, how excited she was, I just knew I needed to get over it and that it was the right thing to do, to go out there. Plus, when I looked around and I saw, Jeremy was taking a vacation, Yeshai Fleischer taking a vacation. So many of the people who I consider rabbis and heroes were going on vacation. I figured, you know, who am I not to go on vacation? I must not be seeing it right. And so we went and it was beautiful. And the experiences that Shana and I had together with our children, mostly at the beach or the kiddie pool, it was just totally, without distractions, it was priceless. And as you guys know, I don't share pictures of my family or my kids on social media ever. But Shayna and I both felt like, you know, we feel like the the fellowship, we're we're a family here. We are a family. And so we share personal things like pictures and uh, I just cut it out when it's broadcast on the audio form. So I thought I'd take this opportunity to share a few pictures with you. Just to let you in on where it was, is that cool? Thumbs up. Okay, so this is just a few pictures of us was on a boat. She couldn't imagine it. You can see it was, it was a special experience, as most experiences that you do seldomly are. But despite the joy, it was still challenging for me in a real way. And before launching it you know, into the fellowship, I want to share a little bit of, of that with you, because perhaps some of you may identify with the struggles that I was having around the whole thing. And also, you may have thoughts that you want to share with me later about the whole subject, some sort of perspective that you could give to me. So I'm going to try to keep this short. So we got there and it was this, we got to this fancy building, at least compared to our stand. right? I mean, for us having uninterrupted electricity, reliable hot water, asphalt on the road. I mean, that's pretty fancy. I mean, we took the kids to go to the shopping mall and it had a little jamboree in it. And this is the last little video picture I'm sharing. I just had to share with you. This is them playing in the jamboree. Ari, you never sent me the video. I never sent you the video. <laughs> Okay. Well, I guess that's meant to be. It's cute. It's really cute. Um, if any of you want, you could send me a WhatsApp and I'll send you the video. Maybe Tabitha can share it to you. I don't know that anyone's like dying to see my children in the jamboree, but either way, just seeing them experience the colors and the stores and the stimulation of it all through their eyes was so much fun. Because um, it turns out that it's pretty rare, Shane and I were reflecting on it, that we leave the relative rustic, simplicity of Judea uh, with our kids or at all. So there are just so many things that they were seeing for the first time, like a hot air balloon. Blue Dvash's mind that people were riding in a balloon in the sky. I mean, it was just too much for her to handle. But even so, you know, the building, it had this beautiful pool and a kiddie pool and it was overlooking the Mediterranean Sea, the Yam HaGadol, it's called the Great Sea. By the way, it's not by any means the largest of the seas or the greatest in any capacity. So why is it called the Great Sea? Our sages say because its shores are upon the land of Israel. Anyways, it just felt so extravagant. And it was a six-minute walk to this outdoor mall called the Piano Center with loads of kosher restaurants and outdoor games for kids. There were numerous minyanim, you know, prayer services for me to pray three times a day. And the reason I'm telling you all this is perhaps to explain the moments where I felt all of a sudden like attacked by these strange thoughts, it was like an ambush in my head. You know, thoughts like, like what more do I need than this? Right, what, what, what do I need this war for that we're fighting in Judea? Why do we all this struggle? Like, what do I need it all for? Because, you know, as you know, well, I love my home, I love the farm, I love the mountain, I love my mission, I love my life. If you've been on this fellowship journey with us long enough, you know that it hasn't been easy and it hasn't been simple. And sometimes it feels like it's unsustainable, like we're living on miracles, on miracles. We have the, just a few things. The Supreme Court that wanted to uproot our vineyards and destroy much of what we're doing out here. There are a number of of hostile Arab villages not far from us that can sometimes cause challenges and threats. There's the EU and the UN. But also like the internal challenges, which sometimes seem more difficult than the external ones, you know, challenges with partners and with money and with my dog eating Jeremy's chickens and with being stuck paying child support for five children of our first farmhand. Do I sign to be a guarantor? Those of you who know what I'm talking about, know what I'm talking about. I'm not going to tell the whole story again. And so here I was on the beach in the serenity of Natanya. And the thought would just fling into my head. This is the life. It's simple. Everything I need is right here, within six minutes of this building. It would be so peaceful and serene. What do I need the war for? And I'm, I'm, I'm easily as I'm saying this, I'm ashamed to say it, but we can be vulnerable with each other. We can be honest. And there were moments where those thoughts were crossing through my head. It wasn't a, an intellectual thing; it was an emotional thing. I think it was a very human thing. I think, I think. Anyways, it was this visceral voice from a simple place within me. And at those moments, I felt very disintegrated. You know, I felt like there were different parts of me that are usually integrated together that were being sort of teased out and separated out, if that makes any sense. It was was unsettling. And then Shabbat comes, and I open up the Torah portion from last week, and I see that it was speaking directly to me. Chapter 8. You shall faithfully observe All the instructions that I enjoin upon you today, that you may thrive and increase and be able to possess the land that Hashem promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember the long way that Hashem has made you travel in the wilderness these past 40 years, in order to test you by the hardships to learn what was in your hearts. Whether you would keep the divine commandment or not, Hashem subjected you to the hardships of hunger and then gave you manna to eat, which... Neither you nor your ancestor that has ever known in order to teach you that not by bread alone does man survive, but by everything that emerges from the mouth of Hashem does man live. You know, and when I read that, it was one of those moments I felt like the Torah was reintegrating. We are not in this world for leisure and relaxation. We're in this world to serve Hashem and to bring Hashem into the world. And these challenges, these confusions, these wars, they're not a bug. They're they're a feature. They're the reason that we're here. they would justify the moments of peace and serenity. They're, they're, the challenges are what life is all about. But that thought then just ricocheted into another thought in my head. And I thought, okay, well, if that's true, then how am I justifying this vacation? Am I running away from my mission? Is it wrong that I'm here? I kept on thinking of the words of Baruch Marzel, who's a well-known rabbi in Chevron, very righteous man. And when I saw him again about six months ago, and uh, and witnessed yet again his devotion, his tireless devotion to the Jewish people. I invited him to come stay for a few days at our guest house on the farm for a little vacation. You know, I told him he would be my guest, no charge. And Shana, you know, she always laughs at me that I'm not very good at charging people to stay in our guest house, even though we really need to. But that's a challenge I could discuss at another time with you. Anyways, I invited him to come and stay, and without blinking an eye, he responded, ha'im yesh mesimah Umit. You know, is there a national purpose for me to be there? I mean, it was just such an automatic response, it was such an integrated response, and I've been thinking about it ever since. I mean, to Barak Marzal, his whole life is for Hashem and Israel and the Jewish people. And if there wasn't a very clear reason for the nation of Israel for him to come and stay in my guest house, well, the answer was definitively no. So I answered him, yes, there is, there is a reason. Uh, the national mission is for you to come and relax and recharge. You'll be stronger for having done it. But that didn't, wasn't a good, good enough reason for him and he politely declined. And so that exchange was, has been echoing in my head. But now that we've returned and the dust is settling, I'm arriving at a certain piece about it because I did feel recharged and renewed and, and rejuvenated. And I've come to terms with the fact that I'm not Baruch Marzal. Jeremy told me that very clearly. That's not where I'm at and that's not where I'm holding. And while it truly may be right for him, I don't think it's right for me and my family. You know, an occasional getaway is not necessarily an indulgence that I need to shamefully tolerate. I can lean in, I can embrace it. And I'm starting to think that it's a it's a good thing if it's kept in its proper context. You know, as long as I remember that my mission here is to serve Hashem from the midst of the very real struggles and challenges of this world. And if the opportunity presents itself to take time off with my family, great. That opportunity is from Hashem also. You know, it's, uh, the words from uh, the Torah portion of Vayeshev came to my mind in, in, in Genesis. You know, Vayeshev Yaakov, and Yaakov settled down. And our sages say that Yaakov was seeking calm and peace and serenity. He was seeking to settle down and to leave the conflict and the struggles behind him. And it was because of that, perhaps, it was because of that that the greatest onslaught of struggles and pain and anguish was thrust upon him with the sale of Joseph, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyways. The conclusion I'm coming to is that when Hashem presents us with moments of serenity and rest, it's okay to take them. Gratefully, we should take them gratefully. But our mission in this life is not the pursuit of serenity. Our mission is to fight the good fight. You know, it's to to struggle against the illusions of this world and to battle the darkness by shining a light. From within it, from deep within that darkness, we need to be within it. And it's that fight which justifies the moments of serenity we're gifted with, not the other way around. And besides, since I've been back, I've realized that if I did own that apartment and I was living there with my family, it would be no time before I started feeling empty and meaningless and I would need to get back out of here to the Judean frontier. Okay, I hope it was okay that I shared that with you. I'm working through in a therapeutic sort of way, But uh, but uh, this fellowship, I really want to talk about that. I want to talk about the confluence, actually, between two subjects that are really happening at the same time. One is the Torah portion of Re'eh, and the other is Rosh Chodesh Elul, the beginning of the holy, special, precious month of Elul, which we celebrate starting on Wednesday night and we finish Friday night. So I'm eager to share that with you. But before I do, it is my great joy to introduce my beloved friend and teacher, Jeremy Gimpel, who is right here with me, who's gonna share some thoughts with you.
0: Hey everybody, good to see everyone. Shalom, shalom. Um, I'm sorry I wasn't online on a, like, there was just a power outage of our, I'm sure you heard about it because it happened minutes before the fellowship was supposed to go live. So that's just the way things roll here. It's wonderful to see you all. I really enjoy um, hearing Ari's inner struggles about going on vacation. You know He's just righteous. Everything is a walk with God. Everything is a pursuit of the truth. He can't just go on vacation and have a good time. No, there's an inner battle of the meaning of it all and the purpose of it all. And that's actually what I want to talk about today. Um, you know It says in the Torah portion, re'eh, behold, I have set before you the blessing and the curse. Behold sort of misses the Hebrew there because re'eh in Hebrew literally means look, see with your eyes. Behold can sort of be like a general, behold, Israel. No, no, it's saying, look with your eyes, Israel. You can see it. I've placed before you the blessing and curse. And you're like, what's he really saying there? It's a confusing language. Mm -hmm. Hero, Israel. I get that. Listen, understand. What is he telling us to see? And so the answer is that the book of Deuteronomy is actually um, a recap. Of the last 40 years in the desert. It's Moses' final speech. And he's saying, look, in the last 40 years, pay attention. It's something that you don't need to believe in. It's not some sort of theology or something you need to sort of, I don't know, have faith in. Look, every single time you veered from the path, there was blessing. Of curse. <laughs> every time you walked with God, there was blessing. You don't need to, you don't need to look far. You can see it with your own eyes. The last 40 years has been that. So listen, you're about to go into the land of Israel. You're about to continue on this journey. But remember, just hold on to this 40-year journey tight because it is the living testimony for you and your children when you go into the land of Israel. And, you know, the, the, the Torah portion continues. And then it says, I'm giving you, noten is in the present tense. So all the Hasidic masters say, You know, Moses is telling every single generation right now that he is giving us that vision right now. So the Torah is saying, don't just look at the 40 years in the desert. Look at every civilization that has come and gone in the last 3,000 years. Look when empires lose their moral foundation, the whole structure comes down. Every society that loses the moral fabric. When it starts to sort of unravel, forget about it. The whole thing comes apart. And here's what it's saying. Look, you can see it with your own eyes. You don't need to believe in anything that's beyond your own eyes vision. You can see it yourself. Know that that will be a living testimony throughout all time. And it's amazing that I see the most secular godless cities everywhere in Western civilization. Western civilization had this amazing foundation of the 10 commandments of biblical values. It had the Torah at its foundation, whether it liked it or not, whether it knew about it or not, that's what was keeping Western civilization, Western civilization. And every single place that starts to veer from that path, that starts to unravel that foundational structure, San Francisco, Detroit, Seattle, I mean, it's like one by one, you can sort of point at them And you see them all falling apart. Europe has no more children being invaded by third world countries. Who knows what's going to be in Europe? And so that's the first part of Re'ed. Look, the blessing is right before you. You don't need to look far. But then there's another idea. The sages of Israel teach a beautiful thing. It says, look before you. I'm placing the blessing and the curse. And so the sages of Israel, based on this idea, and we've shared about this before, but today I'm going to take it a little bit deeper. They say, listen, you should walk around with two notes in your pocket, wherever you go all the time. One in your right pocket and one in your left pocket. One note says, I am just dust and ashes. And the other note says, the entire world was only built just for me. And you see those are two totally opposite ideas. One is absolute humility. I am nothing, I'm dust and ashes and the other, is that spice carts will appear in the the whole universe will organize itself in the most unbelievable way by this intelligent reality that's guiding me personally in my life. Everything that's happening is happening only for me in my own faith journey. And it's like, you have to hold on to both of those notes at one time. And so over Shabbat, we had an amazing guest. He was an elite soldier, still serves in reserve duty in kind of the Fauda unit of Israel, Duv Devan. And if you've ever seen the show Fauda, Those are just the heroes of Israel that go deep into enemy territory, have to dress up sometimes as the enemy themselves to kidnap the chief terrorist in the most dangerous scenarios. And he actually gave over the Dvar Torah in our house of prayer Friday night. And he said, you know, it says us to look and there'll be blessing and curse. I said, look at these two notes, place them in your pockets. And where is that? And how is that actually the blessing and the curse of our lives. And it says, well, we have these two notes, but most people pick out the wrong note at the wrong time. They don't know which one to think when. That's the secret. That's where the blessing and the curse actually exists in our lives. When do we pull out one note and when do we pull out the other note? And here's the deal. Anytime you are called to do good, anytime you feel an opportunity to rise up and bring light into the world, that's the note that you pull out that says, this whole world was created just for me. in this moment in time right now is perfectly designed for me to accomplish my mission in the world. And it's time for me to rise up. But anytime your ego's hurt, anytime something bad is happening like that, and that's when you say, it's okay. It's all just dust and ashes. What am I taking myself so seriously for? And that's the balance and the dance that we have to live through in life. But then there's a second idea that really relates beautifully with this. And Ari just touched on it right now. I didn't coordinate exactly what we were gonna say, but he really got to like the core of it. Like, are we here to experience serenity? Are we here to experience pleasure? And I was listening to this interview with a recovering addict. And he said his whole life, he thought his purpose was to be happy. His whole life has thought his purpose maybe was to get serenity to be happy, feel pleasure. And, you know, what was he gonna do? And he said something that I thought was absolutely profound. He said he no longer thinks that life is about how he can be happy. He said he thinks his life is about how he can be useful. And I found that to be absolutely touching. That is the path. How can we be useful to our wives? How can we be useful to our husbands? How can we be useful to our community? And here's the trick. We were designed to serve. And that's why you see people slip into the Tower of Babel. Humanity will actually enslave itself quite freely if they need to. They'll enslave themselves to... Vaccine mandates and masks that don't make any sense. And because they feel like we are here to serve a higher purpose. And the higher purpose that you serve, actually, the more meaning and good feelings and happiness you'll generate. So if you believe in your marriage and you're serving that purpose, you believe in your family, you believe in your children, you believe in your community, you believe in your fellowship, you believe in your country, you believe in God, you believe in building the kingdom, the bigger you can go the more useful you are to that purpose, actually, that's where the blessing resides. And so we have before us the blessing and the curse to pick out those two notes and to know that when we are called to bring that light into the world, to actually be useful, to think about that, how can we be used for the goodness of the world? How can we be used to bring light into the world? And that actually is the blessing that God laid before us. So I wanna bless everyone in the fellowship that you follow that path of how can we be useful? How can we serve the highest good in our life? And when we commit to that and we work toward that, what we'll see is that blessing resides, happiness grows and we begin to flourish. And so I am so excited about this upcoming week because Elul is in the air and that is my favorite time of the year. And so this fellowship is coming up and we are going to go deep into Elul and just... Launch ourselves into a beautiful new year, but until then, I will pass it off to Ari. So thank you all so much. We'll see you again next week. Shalom,
1: Shalom, everybody. Yes, that was beautiful, Jeremy. I hope that you guys can hear us. Tabitha just called me and told me that uh, the internet is unstable and it's going in and out. So just let me know if you if we lose connection. Start going like this. Give me some sort of sign because I'm looking at all of you uh, while we talk. But yes, that was uh, beautiful, Jeremy, and thank you for sharing that. And, uh, and another thing that's beautiful that you may want to see is the jamboree. Are you guys up for that? It's 12 seconds. Okay, time for the go for it. They want it. People have spoken. Okay, I don't know if you could see that, if the internet was good enough. But uh, how cute are they? It, it's beyond. It was like just, just beyond. But anyways, I worked through, I've worked, I've worked through that whole thing with you, but hearing that from Jeremy, you know, hearing him say how to be useful, that actually makes sense. That's a a prism that makes sense to pass through a lot of the decisions about what we're doing with our lives and who we are. Are we of use? Are we being useful? And uh, when we're trying to figure out how to proceed with our life, either even professionally in any way, that's a good uh, prism to think about because this is the time of, of thinking and, and reflecting, because as I said, we're going into the month of of Elul. And so that's what I want to talk about and really how to prepare for Elul, because these days are filled with tremendous beauty and tremendous potential, pr- potential which, if we're honest, can sometimes lead to a little bit of anxiety, as we've spoken about the past before the high holidays. You know, I was just, I don't know if if non-Jews feel this way, if they have the same sort of baggage that uh, someone like me has growing up in the world and the prism of exile Judaism, which, I, which I've which i gone through, but it, it can often, the highest opportunities can often be laden with, with anxiety and stuff like that. And then, you know, just having a conversation with a dear friend of mine, as the words came out of my mouth, which often does, can you believe it? We're, it's Rosh Chodesh, Elul, this week, Elul, this week, can you believe it? We're already approaching the Chagim, we're already approaching the high holidays. And he responded, oh God, why did you need to share that with me? I don't want to think about it. The three weeks already ruins half of my summer. You remember he's talking about the three weeks between the 17th of Tammuz and the ninth of Av where we're in various levels of mourning about the temple. And he's saying that ruins his summer because it makes it all a, a drag. And now he said, and now I have to think about Elul, which sort of shocked me, you know, because these are two totally, totally different experiences. One is grief and tragedy and distance from Hashem. And the other is Elul, right? Like, what is Elul? It stands for, as we know, uh, we've made slides for it in the past. It stands for Aleph Lamid Vav Lamid. That's how you spell Elul, which stands for Ani leDodi V'dodi Li. I am to my beloved and my beloved is to me, right? That's what King Solomon says in the book of Shira Shirin, Song of Songs. It's a time filled with love and reconnection. So why did he feel that way? What do these two periods have in common? So I think that the one thing that they have in common is that they're both periods that need to be a little bit of reflection, some self-reflection, both periods that have a lot of potential that we can harness for growth and light. And it's that very potential which causes the anxiety because we don't want to let the time pass us without harnessing it to some degree and riding the wave to come closer to Hashem. And if we do, then there's the guilt, the whole Jewish guilt thing. We're not actually harnessing the time and tapping into it correctly. And, and the thought that we may not harness it correctly, that it causes angst, you know, we don't want to squander it. So that's why I titled this fellowship, It's All in the Prep, because we're in a place right now before the month even begins. So that it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to calmly and serenely take a few moments and think about it ahead of time, to hopefully just get a basic orientation, maybe a little bit of a head start. Uh, a game plan for the days of head, for the days ahead, because, you know, Rav Kluger, who I've shared with you, he points out that these days are called Yamei Ratzon, the days of favor. And starting at the new moon of the month of Elul is 40 days, which culminate in Yom Kippur, meaning 40 days from this coming Wednesday is Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, because it was on the new moon of the month of Elul that Moses ascended Sinai for the second time to beg atonement for the nation of Israel, for their sins, for the golden calf. And it was on Yom Kippur 40 days later that Hashem granted that forgiveness, right? So we know, we've talked about it many times, the Hebrew grasp on time is that it is an ascending helix. And each year we're able to harness the latent energy present at that time of the year on that sort of strand of that helix. And so at this time of the year, a desire for repentance and reconnection builds up within us. You know, a desire to draw close to Hashem. Because keep in mind, and this is a little bit of an abstract sort of mystical thought, but the the month after Elul is Tishrei, right? Tishrei, the first of Tishrei, the first of that month is Rosh Hashanah, right? So what does that mean for Elul? Rosh Hashanah, the whole world was created. So what happened before the creation of the world? Elul is like the month before the world was even created. It means that this was a time where there was really nothing at all other than Hashem's will and Hashem's love. And they were stirred to inspire creation itself. And so this is a time that is made for us to tap into that deepest will within ourselves. And so just a quick prayer, Hashem, please help us get there. Please awaken within us the desire that's already burning within us to come close to you to rekindle our love and our friendship and our relationship that we yearn for so much. Help help us guide each other and inspire each other in returning to you from a place of love and truth. Amen. Because my friends, it's, it is our belief that this is the time that Isaiah was talking about in chapter 55, right? It says, seek Hashem when he can be found. Call upon him when he's near. You know, right now we're in the month of Av where it's, it's like we read and through the prophets, Hashem says, no, I'm putting up walls between us. Even though we always know that the walls aren't really there, you can always hear us. But there's an emotional distance, right? But this verse refers it refers primarily to the 10 days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, uh, between Rosh Hashanah and the Day of Atonement. But it does refer by extension to the entire period of time, starting with Elul that we're going into. You know, the entire month of Elul is that time when Hashem can be found. This is the time to call upon him when he's near. There's a tremendous opportunity here. And by the way, perhaps that's part of why we feel that anxiety, right? Because there's a dissonance between the great potential of this time and how deserving that we may feel, you know, we may feel that we're just not deserving to really come close to Hashem at all. You know, if you're like me, perhaps you feel like your deeds have fallen short of who you could be, of who you should be, who you committed that you would be around this time last year, and most likely the year before that also. You know, I, and really, despite my greatest efforts, I often walk around feeling undeserving, and not sort of a humble, good, holy undeserving, but a beating myself up kind of undeserving, like like a falling short type of undeserving which brings me for a moment to this week's Torah portion which really spoke to me in in that way addressed that that part of me It, it addressed that feeling that was starting to come up right so here we are chapter 14 you are children of Hashem your God you shall not gash yourselves or shave the front of your heads because of the dead you are for you are a people consecrated to Hashem your God Hashem chose you from among all the other peoples on earth to be a treasured people, an Segula. So this is just one of the most critical verses in the Torah because it conveys so many fundamental truths all at once. But for the for the moment, let's just start with the first part of the first verse. We're Hashem's children. It's such a revolutionary idea. It's so bold, and it's and it's so comforting. But sometimes it's difficult to really let ourselves believe it, because you know we've talked about this before. But the Torah is just filled. With detailed lists describing the nation of Israel's rebelling against Hashem again and again and again and again, rebelling against Hashem on a national level. And by the way, in a very similar way that you know I and some other guilt-feeling Jews feel like we rebel against Hashem on a personal level also. you know it's hard to throw stones when we look at our own personal lives and see again and again we've made commitments and we've taken things upon ourselves and we just again and again we fall and we fall and we, fall and we rebel and we rebel. But Hashem's ways aren't ours, you know, and and we see that although any normal person would walk away from a relationship that has so much ingratitude and betrayal in it, Hashem loves us in a way that we can't even understand. You know, the closest description that we can find that our mind can possibly wrap around that gets us close to that is that verse. We're Hashem's children. Hashem loves us as a parent loves a child. So the Orachaim HaKadosh, one of the great sages of Israel, actually takes this verse and expounds on it further with a verse from the 31st chapter of the book of Jeremiah, of Yomiya, a verse that many of us, myself included, sing to our children every night when they go to sleep. Right, it goes, You know, truly Ephraim is a dear son to me, a child that is, is playful. Whenever I've turned against him, my thoughts would dwell on him still. That is why my heart yearns for him. I'll receive him back in love, declares God. It's such a beautiful song. I actually, with your permission, I just want to take a moment to share it with you. There's so many versions of it, but I just wanted to play a little piece of one of the beautiful songs with these words. <laughs>
0: I'm not
1: think maybe because uh you know i'm a father for the first time you know at the age of 39 40 was it that i became a father for the first time i couldn't have imagined the degree of overwhelming crippling love that my heart had the capacity to feel and so just to know that hashem loves us in that way you know the the teaches that when a person you know has a, a normal person is near someone that has a foul odor coming from them, you keep your distance from that person, you know, with this foul odor coming from them. But when it's your child, not only don't you have a problem hugging and kissing them and playing with them with the diaper totally packed, filled and even spilling out, you know, you bring your child close. You know, there's some parents that actually enjoy it. You know, there's some parents who love their child so much that they actually come to like the smell emanating from them, however crazy that sounds. I was asking one of my friends in the nearby village of Ibe Anahal, and the wife answered and she said, yeah, when your kid hasn't gone to the bathroom, you know, a and, and number two for like, you know, a week and finally it comes out, you, you love the smell of it. You know, and it was sort of comforted to know I wasn't alone. I hope it's not too, uh, you know, this is my life. These smells are my life. So maybe I'm disconnected and this is just out of the realm of what I should share. But here I am. I'm in it and it's coming and I know I probably shouldn't, but I really need to share with you a story that just happened that really illustrates this so beautifully. The more I think about it, it's really not necessary that I share it with you, but I, I want—I just want to. And I immediately thought of this teaching when this uh, happened. So Shane and I decided to take the drive back from Natanya in the middle of the night so the kids would sleep through it. But Sheila woke up in the middle of the trip, shifting and crying and I was trying to comfort him And then all of a sudden, boom, he just starts projectile vomiting, like projectile vomiting, shooting out of his mouth. Like that movie I never saw, but I was like Poltergeist. It was actually really, it was actually really scary. I'd never seen him throw up before. And so while the car was moving, even though Shana said not to, I grabbed him out of his car seat and I held him close to me, after which he immediately started vomiting huge amounts in my face, on my beard, all over my clothes. I even think some of it went in, into my mouth. I was definitely tasting it. It was all over me. And we pulled over as soon as we could. And I just I just took off my shirt and I threw it away. It was so drenched. And we got home a half hour later. And right then in the middle of the night, I took out his car seat and I washed it off thoroughly with a garden hose. And I just left it there in our yard. And now last night I knew, oh, today Shana was going to need to take them around. So, uh, So I I, I took it out after Shabbat and I put it back into the car and I picked it up in the air to sort of shake it out. And just then maybe a cup, a cup and a half of the water from when I washed it out. You know, that pukey water that had been baking in the sun over Shabbat poured out in my face again, all over my face, all over my shirt. Same throw up as before, just three days later in the heat wave of Judea, and it had definitely aged like fine wine. But anyways, why do I share this with you other than I just really thought it was funny and I wanted to? I share this with you because I immediately thought of this verse in the Or Anyone else's child where I was dealing with that, I would have probably been uh, annoyed, probably angry, horrified, obviously disgusted beyond belief. But being that I knew that it was my beloved son, Sheila, who I love beyond words, When he was throwing up, I I brought him closer to me. I brought him closer to me. I held him close and I comforted him. That's right, so great is my love for him that as he was vomiting on me, I brought him closer. And that is really how I believe it is with Hashem and us. You know, to sin after having repented from that sin, think about it, we repent from, we sin, and then we really truly repent from that sin. And then we do that sin again we have I think we've all been there. Our sages actually liken that to a dog vomiting and eating its own vomit, which I thought was just an analogy or something until I had a dog and then I realized they actually do that. You know, but even so, the fact that many of us feel that, that our repeated sins and our failures and all the other stenches coming from us that we think or that we feel make us unlovable, it's just not true. Hashem brings us even closer at those moments because we're his children. And and he loves the fact, I really think that he loves the fact that despite it all, after falling on our face and repeating the same mistakes and rebellious mistakes again and again, here we are and we're not giving up and we're trying again and again. I think Hashem really loves that. And that's what the Orchayim says this verse is telling us. But, you know, that that even when we, we may reek of sin, Hashem still loves us and engages with us, and wants to play with us. the father is a child who is spoiled and rebellious. And the second part of that verse leads right into that. We are Hashem's children, right, that's the first part. We should not gash ourselves or rip out our hair. What is that about? Why is that verse connected directly to the verse of telling us that we're Hashem's children? Why does it say there that, that, that we shouldn't injure ourselves? as many other peoples and faiths and religions do when something devastating or distressful happens, like losing a loved one or when a a tragedy strikes. And I think Hashem is telling us that we need to remember that we are His children and His love for us far eclipses everything else. His love for us is beyond what we can imagine. And therefore we must remember and believe that everything, everything is from Hashem. And everything is therefore For the best and you know so there there will be times that we will feel heartbroken and we'll be weeping at the funeral of a parent or god forbid i can't even say you know there are times that we'll feel such grief and heartbreak but that grief and heartbreak lives on a foundation of happiness even as we're weeping in a very real way it's built on a foundation of happiness, every other emotion needs to be built on that foundation of happiness. We need to trust that everything is for the good, even if our mortal human minds cannot understand it. So yes, you know, grief is okay, it's human, but Ad Khan, you know what I mean? Until here, there's a limit, there's a limit because we're Hashem's children and he loves us and everything he does for us is good. So don't go starting to rip your hair out or gash your arms or express that just unbelievable devastation and grief too much. That's not right. That's not the right balance. And that's what Elul is about. I actually don't think that we necessarily need to do too much conventional, time-consuming sort of preparation because the real service on Elul is about a state of mind. It's about uncovering something that's already there. And what's that? It's about uncovering our desire to come close to Hashem again as his children who love him it's already that desire to come close to Hashem is already there within us we just need to find it to pull it up and to come close to him and I really believe that the fact that we've tried before again and again and we failed again and again the fact that we keep getting up and trying relentlessly and unreasonably it is that yearning that yearning within our hearts that Hashem himself is yearning for Right, Hashem is yearning for our yearning. That's what Elul is about. And so Rev Gl- Kluger shares, you know, he says, in, in Elul, we say to Hashem, you know, this is from Psalm 27. Ota uh, One thing I ask of Hashem, one thing I ask of Hashem that I sit, that I, one thing I ask of Hashem that I seek to sit in the house of Hashem all the days of my life and to behold the sweetness of Hashem. And visit his holy sanctuary. That's what we want. Just to be close to Hashem. So what's the preparation? Let's work it through. Let's work it through. But but I think to, to simply turn our hearts to Hashem. And to speak with him. To talk with him. To open our mouths. Real words come out. To speak with him from the depths of our soul. To tell him how much we yearn to be close to him. And to serve him. That's what Hashem is yearning for during this time more than any other for our hearts, for our yearning. The prophet Hoshea says in chapter 14, take with you words, take words with you and return to Hashem. And we see very clearly that Hashem tells us just three verses later, what will happen if indeed we do that? We take our words and we return to Hashem. If we open up our hearts and we talk to Him and tell Him how much we want to be close to Him. Right, and if we can't do that, how badly we want to want it. Right, here's the here's the verse in Hosea chapter 14 verse 5. This is what Hashem says will happen if we turn to Him with our words. He says, "I will remedy their backsliding. I will love them overwhelmingly." He just wants us to talk to Him, just to talk to Him. Anything, any words out loud to talk to Him. And I'm saying this as if I'm the king of I'm not. I'm not. I struggle with it, but it's. Uh, It is definitely foremost in my mind, in my service of Hashem, and in my journey, and in, in in my work, my spiritual work. And friends, like I said, if we're in such a place of feeling lost and confused that it's hard to even do that, it's okay. Then let's just tell Hashem how badly we want to want to be close to Him. If He sees how badly we want to remove the calluses around our hearts, and we all have them to one degree or another, He will remove them for us. We don't need to do it ourselves. I'm not even sure that we really can do it ourselves. All we need to do is really want it or even want to want it and to tell him that and to express that to him in words, to go outside to a field, to our home, or even just the blanket over our head in bed as we're falling asleep at night. Just open our mouths to Hashem and he'll do the rest. OK, my friend, so there's, there's so much more I wanted to talk about in this fellowship, but uh, but I think it's going to have to wait t- till uh, till next week. But I didn't want to miss this opportunity with our time left together to open up. And I really want to hear from you. We don't have a lot of time for this fellowship connection, but I want to, because this is a journey that we're on together. We're here to encourage each other and to strengthen each other. Ardell just sent out another beautiful prayer packet, which I love and I'm so grateful for. And I hope you all get it. And you could turn to Ardell or Tabitha for that. And, um, and so, you know, in that spirit, I want to take this opportunity to just, you know, there's something that just happened this week, and I want to send love and prayer and encouragement and support to our dear friend, Ryan Roberts, who is uh, devastated right now. Uh, he lost his wife, Karen, you know, and he shared uh, the eulogy with me that he wrote for her, and it was really deeply moving. And I'm sure he'd be more than happy to share it with all of you. And uh, to have you read it too, perhaps reach out to him or Tabitha if he gives his blessing, uh, then we'll be happy to share it. I I shouldn't have even said that. I don't want to put him on the spot, which I obviously just did right now. But it's just so beautiful. And uh, and it's really quite a testimony to her. It's definitely worth the read, you know, particularly during these times when we would do well to consider what our final message would be to the world, you know, what we would want said about us. And from what I gathered from Ryan's words, his beloved Karen had a heart filled with love and fear of God, a tender heart, just a very, very special person. And so Ryan, I want you to know that I and my family and the whole fellowship were with you and we love you and we're sending vibes and prayers of consolation to you and your family. Um, so anyways, um, with that, I sort of, I, I want to, you know, end this part of the fellowship with a blessing to you, to, to all of us, that uh, that with Hashem's help, you know, may we embark on these holy days with, with eagerness and joy and gratitude, not with anxiety, but with eagerness, with 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 a heart filled with desire to understand what a wonderful opportunity is, is right here at our fingertips, is right here just on the tip of our, of our tongue. It's right there. You know, may we remember, may all of us remember that as the Prophet Malachi told us, he says, return to me. And I will return to you. Return to, you. Return to me and I'll return to you. Hashem is just waiting for us to return to him. And yes, you know, Karen shared in, in her in her um in, Rob, Rob Ryan was sharing with us about Karen's words and her message that fearing God was such paramount importance to her. And really it is fearing God is the cornerstone, is the foundation. We talk so much about loving God, but without fearing Hashem, without respecting His heart and His will and His desires for us, there's really no respect in the relationship. And I think that's one of, Jeremy was talking about some of the the downfalls of Western civilization. And I think even those in the West that still claim and profess and really do believe in God, a lot of that fear is gone. And it's just about feeling good and and uh, love, and, and without, without fearing Hashem, fearing violating our relationship with him, you know, fearing violating his desires for us, there's no respect in the relationship. And without respect, there can't be true love. So I bless us that we remember that God is our judge and our king. And that's what Rosh Hashanah is about, right? Accepting God's sovereignty in our lives, except, accepting the yoke of his kingship. And with that does come a healthy amount of fear. But during these days when we're assessing our actions and seeking how we can come before him with repentance and truth, I bless us that we don't forget, even during this journey and this this spiritual work, that we don't forget for one moment that this great king, that this ultimate judge, that he is our father and that we're his children and that he loves us like his children, as he told us in this week's Torah portion. And I bless us, my friends, that we're able to internalize that truth and during this sacred time, we can infuse that into our very essence. And uh, the natural result from that is that Elohim will be filled with love and happiness. You know, 12 times in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Dvarim, do we have the word simcha. It's once in the book of Genesis, once in uh, Exodus and all the other books, but it's 12 times in Deuteronomy. Seven of it is in this Torah portion. Because th- I think that's the message to us. That if we have that fear, and we internalize that fear and that love, it will result in happiness. We'll feel Hashem's love for us. We'll feel it to the depths of our souls, and we'll feel happy from that knowledge. And I bless us that 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 love and that happiness bursts forth from our hearts to everybody around us. Really, we can't just focus it on Hashem and the people around us. We're still at odds with them and angry at them and resentful. No, no, no. Verse forth to everybody around us. And just as we love all those in our lives, and our orbits, particularly those who we we think may not be worthy of that love, just as we're able to love them, may we feel the great love that Hashem has for us. So hang tight, my friends, because uh, I want to bless you, of course, right now with the blessing of the high priest, which I'm eager to, to bless you with as I am every week. But, but hang tight, because right afterwards, I want to have a little fellowship, connection where we can talk a little bit. I want to hear your thoughts about Elul, repentance, about loving Hashem. I want to hear your questions, your thoughts, anything that you want to share. If you don't have anything to share or to ask, that's okay. But if you do, you can raise your hand. But for uh, for this moment, it's my great honor to bless you with the blessing of Aaron the high priest. That of course, as you know, I'm not a descendant of Aaron. I am of the nation of Israel. I'm of the other tribes of Israel, but we are an Amqanim, a nation of priests. And so it's my joy to bless all of you. Yivarechecha, Adonai, vishmerecha. Ya'er Adonai panavelecha, vifuneka. Yisa Adonai panavelecha, viyasem shalom. Amen. May Hashem bless you and protect you. May she shine His light and His countenance upon you. May He give you peace. Amen. To join the Land of Israel Fellowship, attend our live interactive Zoom sessions, to participate in the Fellowship Connection Q&A events, or even just to binge on past sessions, click on the link below. Or go to thelandofisrael.com backslash fellowship and join our family of hundreds of people from around the world broadcasting light from the land of Israel live from the Judean frontier.